everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Evolving Engineering and Construction Brands podcast with your host, Matthew Winkelstein. This week, we're going to be airing an episode that I recorded on the Build Your Success podcast with Brian Brosian. We had him on our podcast before, talked about marketing, talked about digital marketing. This was him interviewing me, talking about leadership. I enjoyed recording the episode with him. I also enjoyed the opportunity to talk about leadership, which is a large passion of mine. I would say it's even larger than marketing. I've been fascinated with how to develop people, how to develop leaders since I was probably in my mid-20s. And so this was an awesome opportunity I had to discuss it with Brian and wanted to share it with our audience. Hope you enjoy the episode as much as I did recording it. Welcome, builders, to the Build Your Success podcast today. We hope you're building a business, building a career, building a lifestyle, whatever you're working on or towards, we want to be part of that journey. Here at the Build Your Success podcast, we do that through our coaching, training, and speaking events but we also do that with special guests we bring to the podcast. I'm so excited to have my newfound friend, Matthew Winkelstein, today. Matthew is the owner of Engaging Perspectives. He grew up in the heavy and, excuse me, the heavy and electrical construction industry. He served in various capacities as project management, safety, sales, and most recently in marketing. And he enjoys helping companies leverage digital marketing to enter new markets, influence industry conversations, and attract talent so much needed in our industry today, but welcome to the podcast today, Matthew. Absolutely, Brian. Thanks for having me. And uh, unlike I did for you, I appreciate you pronouncing my name correctly. And I didn't realize how much of a mouthful that opening was. I'll have to work on that. Hey, you've got a lot of experience. You've got a great background. I got on this leadership journey by, by recruiting talent, if you will, through a workforce development thing, the ACE Mentor Program. So I really appreciate that side of your experience. And then and now you help people just put themselves, but let's do what we do with all of our guests. Let's ask Matthew, what does leadership and being a leader mean to Matthew Winkelstein? I've thought about this a lot through my career because I've held different leadership positions. And one of the things that's perplexed me through my career is how some leaders become leaders because they don't make their team better. And what I tell when I became a director and started leading leaders, the thing that I told them, the simplest metric I want to look at is, do you make your team better? If you make your team better, then you're a good leader. If you don't make your team better, you're a good individual contributor. And so the way I believe you do that is aligning the company's goals with individuals' goals. And those don't always align and being okay when they don't align and helping them achieve their goals, even if it works to them leaving the company. And my experience has been, if you can align those goals, you get the benefits, but then you also maintain long-term relationships. And the people that are walking out the door are typically walking out the door on good terms and they're helping you backfill their position, not giving you their two weeks notice and catching you off guard. That is a great explanation of leadership. When I hear you talk about helping others, that's so important to leadership and growing and developing those that you're basically you're serving them is what, what happens here in leadership. If you're doing it the right way, you're not taking from them. You're actually helping them. Like you said, helping them achieve their goals and their ambitions. You mentioned asking them what those are and how to help them. What are some other tools and techniques that you used as a leader to, to help people grow and develop themselves? Once I could understand what they're, so first it, um, depending on what level of the organization you're at, people don't always know what they want. So helping them understand what they actually want and wants the shiny object, right? I did myself for a long time. I want the promotion. I want the title. I want more money. And so getting past that surface level answer and digging deep into what makes you happy, what adds meaning, and then trying to help them identify ways that they can 
do that with inside the framework of the organization and even outside the organization. So after we're able to understand what people want to achieve, then it's developing an individual plan for them to be able to achieve it. And then this is the less popular thing to say, but then holding them accountable to it. Hey, you know what? We talked about this. You said you wanted to achieve this and you're not meeting those expectations right now. And is there something that I'm doing that's not allowing you to meet those expectations that you've set for yourself? Or do you need me to support you in a different way? Or do we need to change your expectations? And that's the part of leadership that people don't like to talk about. But I know for me personally and other leaders that have been successful, if we didn't have those people in our lives that held us accountable at times when maybe we didn't even know how to ourselves or we weren't in that moment, I don't think any of us would be where we are. But a lot of people shy away from that. Matthew, great answer. And thanks for sharing those tools and techniques on how to improve those around you. But that accountability piece, as you say, it's the hard one. And it's also so lacking in today's world. It's all about let's play ping pong tables. Let's do all these fun activities. And those are great. I think those are great for the health and well-being of your employees. But at the end of the day, we have to produce a product and we have to be held accountable for meeting our clients' needs. And I think that personally, I, I thrive on that. When I meet my clients' needs, when I deliver something to a client, and I think others have the same ambitions. Yeah, we like to have fun together, do team building events. But at the end of the day, the, we're in business to deliver a service. So thanks for that. Absolutely. So in your application, this kind of just forces what you said, succeeding through helping others succeed. We've heard about how we win friends and influence people, about how you help others and they help you. So how do you do this as far as succeeding and helping others succeed? As you have success, how do you share that with others? I I share it in a couple of ways. The immediate way is training someone else to take my position. And so as a leader, I feel like we have a propensity and we have a requirement to look at what's next more than individual contributors. And so part of looking at what's next is looking behind you and saying, who are two to three people that I can start to teach what I do beyond the surface level? Who wants to take the time to learn what this next role is actually about, what it's going to take for them to be successful in it, and then continue to help them move through that journey? I think that's a a huge component of helping people succeed, right? If they don't know what's next, they don't understand what the whole job entails, they're not going to be able to be successful. And then after that, it's and I do this a lot in my new role, it's finding ways to build trust. It's hard to hold some account- someone accountable if they don't trust you. And so finding ways to be able to build trust and hold people accountable at the same time is challenging, but I think it's a prerequisite for other people to be success and for you to actually be able to help them. Because if they don't know and believe you care, they're going to look at you as you're just trying to meet your goals. And that's also why I'm very honest about what my goals are. Not everyone believes it, But I tell them, even with my clients now, the best possible relationship I can have is one where you don't need me in 12 to 18 months. And you know what? That means we may not work together for two to three years after this. But if I do a good job for you, I make you successful and you don't need me anymore. You're going to number one, recommend me to others. You're going to be successful and you're going to appreciate the relationship. And then you're going to circle back to me when you do need something. And Like I said, not everyone believes that and you have to build the trust and really go out of your way to demonstrate that, hey, you're doing what's in their best interest to be able to get there. But if you can, people just, people flourish. And what I, best part of what I've seen from that tact that I've taken, and I didn't develop that tact on my own, I actually developed it through bad experiences I had, is the people that I've helped help other people. And I love to see that when I see someone that I mentored and to see someone that I work with passing it on and being a good leader and helping other leaders become leaders.
or other potential leaders become leaders. Matthew, I love that explanation of how you help people become successful. <clears throat> and it reminds me of a quote I've heard. I don't remember who said it, but there is no success without a successor. And some people think a succession plan means I'm getting rid of my business. I'm leaving. I'm going away. But we also need to think about key personnel. As you're alluding to, sometimes people outgrow the business you're in. If you need to be thinking about bringing someone along with you and knowing that, hey, I have helped someone step up into the role that I used to fill. I've encouraged people something that I learned the hard way is maybe I can do something that I learned to do now very proficiently and I can get it done in 20 minutes. And it might take me two hours to teach someone how to do it and then more maintenance to continue to coach and train them to do it. However, if I'll do that for a little while, in years to come, that person has taken over that and doing it just as well or maybe better than I did it. So it's just recognize, realize, yeah, maybe today they can't do it as fast as you can do it, but they can learn to do it the same way you did. Have you had that kind of experience in your career? Absolutely. And I think that is a, a continued struggle in leadership, especially when you're a business owner. I feel like I struggle with it more in my business than I did when I was in a large corporation. Because in a large corporation, it felt like there's almost this endless time loop at times where you're working on these massive projects that take years to develop. And so nothing really happens overnight. And then certain mechanics within the organization slow you down intentionally, right? It's meant to have a governor on how fast you can go because you don't want to break anything with inside that large organization. Now, within my own business, I struggled with it. And I would say when I first started my business, I did a poor job of it. I didn't do a good job of actually teaching people what I was doing. And I identified the wrong people to teach, honestly. And so it's been probably nine months before I'd say I'm doing it well now, where I'm taking the time to, uh, to okay, this is how you can help me, explaining how you can help me, and then putting in the time and the effort to circle back and make sure it's going well. And I'm lucky I have a fantastic partner, Leisha Ball, and she's always, let me help you, help me help you. And that's when I hear that, I know I'm going too fast. I'm saying yes to something. And she always says like, why did you just take that on? Don't say yes to that. Let me take this on. Let's delegate this. And so I think that's a continual journey. And part of being on that journey is finding one or two people that you really keep close and that can speak truth into even some of the BS that we can convince ourselves of. Thanks for acknowledging how someone is helping. I love that way that she phrases that, help me help you. And it's an easy way for you to realize, okay, yeah, I need to explain this a little deeper. And you started talking about how it is to be a newly launched businessman. You and I have done this in the recent past, and I've learned a lot of lessons. I had a team before, and I don't have a team any longer. And, and at first, I was looking forward to that. Hey, I don't have as many what we call headaches and all the problems that your team members bring you. But you know what? I also don't have the assistance and the support I had with a deeper group of people. But I am having to learn there's still opportunities to delegate Let's talk about the struggles you've had. You mentioned a few of them already with starting your own business and basically being a solopreneur and now having to have some support roles that may be third parties and that type of thing. Yeah, I made, a, I made every mistake that I read about and said I wasn't going to make. I tried to go grow a big business before a small business. I tried to have a large team before I had a well-functioning small team. All the mistakes. And those are tough mistakes to unwind. I was too broad at first with my focus. I was taking on customers in a million different industries and wasn't providing excellent service to any of them because my mind was so watered down with the other stuff I was trying to do. And then because I was so worried about growing a large business, I was thinking too far into the future and not enough about the present. And then that also led me to 
have not the right team around me and a team that wasn't necessarily aligned with what the goals of the company were and didn't operate the same way that I did. Last year, I had a personal situation happen where my mom ended up being in a coma for almost a month and was in the hospital for a while after that. This is at the same time that my second son was born. And that was really an eye-opening experience for me where I had to take stock of what am I doing here? What am I building? What decisions am I making that are right? What decisions that are wrong? And through my absence with my company and with my customers, it became pretty obvious to me who needed to be on the team and who didn't need to be on the team. And nothing against the people that weren't aren't my team anymore. They just weren't the right fit for me and what I wanted to do. Great people, Hopefully they're going to be successful on their own or whatever they decide to end up doing, but just wasn't the right fit for me. And that's okay, right? I should have made that decision before, but it took this to be able to make that. So after I made that decision, scaled back, broke up with almost all my customers except for three, which was scary. And some of those breakups were enlightening too. Two of my customers were like, we were thinking about making a move. It was like, that's just even more saying I wasn't delivering the level of service that they expected. They wanted 100% of my time and that's not a scalable business. And when I wasn't able to give them 100% of my time, they weren't as interested in what we were providing as a company. So off-boarded almost all my customers except for three, which was tough. That was a 75% revenue hit for two months, which as a scary proposition, but worked through that identified who needed to be on the company, within the company, and then also realized you can do a lot with a small team and a good process. So now we look at finding the best of the best. And I've heard this quote, and I've been using it recently, A players hire A players, B players hire C players. And I love that because that was my experience. And so it's impossible to think you can have a large team of A players because there aren't as many out there, but you can have a smaller team of A players. And with what we talked about earlier with aligning incentives and aligning objectives, a lot of the A players have their own thing, right? You're not going to hire me into an organization right now. There's not, there's no position, no title, no amount of money that someone's going to offer me. That's going to make me say, yes, I want to go work for this organization. And so I came to that realization about myself and I realized oh, if I'm just working with people that want a full-time job, that limits my ability to work with these people. And so what we've been able to develop over the last three to four months is a strong process that is prescriptive in what we expect, but allows the creatives freedom to do what they do well with inside that structure. And then we have a bench, an ever-growing bench, because we're always looking for talent, of individual contributors that have their own business that want to participate in my business in some sort of meaningful way. And that list continues to grow. We get the best of the best. We're able to have a lot of specialists that specialize in specific skill sets. And what's that meant for our customers is they get the absolute best product and they get it honestly at a, at a better price than you would think because you hear good and it's expensive. And if you look at these people on an hourly basis, they are expensive. But if you go out and price the project, you quickly find out, wait a second, this isn't expensive. And then when you see the quality of the work, it's, oh, okay, I understand now. Matthew, that that's great. And for years, we've heard about fractionalized CEOs and those type of things. I think we're going to be seeing, and we are seeing with the technology and everything that's at our fingertips today, fractionalized, just random workers. They work for several people. They make a larger salary, but doing it for multiple people. And I think there has been some inefficiencies in the full-time employee role for certain jobs. And we're seeing where we can utilize it and work and 
collaborate with each other and be more efficient. So that it's great. And people can set their own schedule when they do this. It's not for everyone. Not everyone can do their self-motivated and individual and work for five different companies, but some people can, and some people strive and thrive in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I was, I'm fortunate to have worked for some leaders that understand that. The last leader that I worked for, his name is John Gribble at Kiwit. He just, he is it was like a master class in leadership. I had worked for good leaders previously. He's just at a different level than other people I'd worked for. Some of the people that I worked for have gotten to his level now, but he's just fantastic. And he very much thinks like that. He wants the best people around them and he's flexible with what that looks like. Even with his full-time employees, he's flexible with, hey, how they add value. And he talks about, this is what we have to achieve. How we achieve it, I'm not as prescriptive about. I just want you to show up well and I'm going to be here when you have tough times and understand that your work product's going to go down a little bit. We need to maintain the minimum. And then when we can, we need to hit the maximum. And he does he de- he developed me a ton, still continues to. He's a customer, a mentor, and a friend, and I wouldn't be where I'm at without him. He's one of those like probably six or seven people I can say about that in my life. That's great. And I want to talk about mentors to share that passion. Sounds like that's one of them, but I want to continue on what we were just talking about. I was working with a, a construction executive group yesterday, and we were having a conversation. We're hearing a lot about work from home and flexibility and all these different ways to the new workforce. And our production workers, frankly, don't have that option or opportunity. So if you're going to be on a job site from 7 a.m. to 3.30 or 5.30 or be at a fabrication shop or whatever those roles are, they don't have that luxury to be able to work from home. And I said, what can we do and think it outside the box to give these people some flexibility in their schedule? Because guess what? They have doctor's appointments. They have dentist appointments. They have things and problems in their family, just like our office people do that are able to work from home and try to be creative. So being open-minded, like you said, to this new workforce, new work culture, that, that we just need to think of ways that we can include others in this. So what kind of ideas do you have around that, Matthew? I have a couple. I think long-term, the problem solves itself because I think that right now, I'm just going to be blunt here, low-skill, white-collar jobs pay well. And those low skill white collar jobs will not pay as well in the future and high skilled technical professionals that are required to be places will continue to pay more. I saw something on Twitter from the creator of chat GPT three, Sam Altman. And he said, right now it costs 30, $300 to fix your pipe. And it costs $3,000 to create an app. How long does that sustain? And I think the point is that flips over time. I believe that hundred percent. I also think that which in today's day where there are so many projects and there are more opportunities and almost every company I talk to is dealing with a labor issue. I think having direct conversations with your customers about whether you're pricing and staffing jobs where it's, Hey, before it was do we want the absolute minimum crew, right? So that's why attendance was penalized and you gave bonuses for hundred percent attendance because manpower is the most expensive thing or work power is the most expensive thing. And I don't think that necessarily changes, but I think being honest with your customers about, Hey, we have created this culture that allows our people to be able to take a day off or so. And then when we're fully staffed, we're going to be able to work on other things, but we can absorb X amount of absenteeism because we've structured the job this way. And then I think the other thing is embracing more of technology, looking at ways that construction companies, and they haven't always been embrace technology to make their work more efficient, where maybe a group of five 
extremely talented craftspeople can do what it used to take 10 because you need helpers. There's all kinds of advancements in robotics and process and technology isn't always necessarily a robot or a tool. Sometimes technology is a process that allows people to be able to move quicker in their actual work and maintain safety at the same time. That's great. And and there's so much advancement in technology. It's a fast moving thing. And then again, same group of people I was speaking with yesterday, I was like, encourage them. If you don't adopt this technology, your competitors going to, and people are standing up saying it's going to take away jobs. I understand that, but if you don't do it, your competitor is going to do it. So you need to be on top of this and embrace and explaining it to your employees. So they understand the value of it. That's amazing. Think, think, Think about this just real quick, recent history, right? Two years ago, the big concern was truck drivers aren't going to have jobs anymore. That has not happened, right? That is a hard skill to be able to replace. Construction workers are even harder. They carry around so much information. And so are they going to be the ones that their skill continues to go down in value? No, I think it continues to go up. It's all of a sudden now there's writing tools, right? You and I were talking before we started airing about how we're able to do some things with artificial intelligence technology that makes our process to create podcasts, to be able to create written words, spoken word, video way faster than we ever have before. And so I think that continues to work through. And, you know, my, I love what you said about craftspeople because I've heard that, especially when I was in the field, I heard it a lot with automatic welders. We don't want automatic welders, right? We need a welder in here. And now I think some people have experienced what it's like to be on these projects that are understaffed. And I think the message to those craftspeople is, hey, listen, if we embrace this technology, it's going to allow you to allow us to keep you safer. And can we hire as many people? No, but those people aren't out there now anyways. If we can do the project with this many less people, you're going to have that many more opportunities. And oh, by the way, we're going to save that much more of your body for the next job. Exactly. That's what I was you know, making the case for the benefits of adopting the technologies is so important. Let's back up to this mentor thing. You talked about someone that was a mentor to you in your previous role, but you and I share the passion for mentorship and mentoring others and being mentored by others. So how has that helped you in your career and your leadership style? Oh, I I don't say this flippantly. I would not be anywhere remotely to where I am without mentorship. I was an accidental professional. So I was going to school. Honestly, I was going to school to play college basketball at a small junior college. I wasn't going to college. I was going there to play basketball. And soon after playing, I realized, oh, guess what? Six, one and slow doesn't really do that well on the college level. And I was able to take stock of what it was going to take for me to be at even remotely as successful as I thought I could be or wanted to be. And I realized it just wasn't, that's not what I wanted to do. And at that time I wanted to be a high school history teacher. I still love history. I still have a teaching heart. I've brought that into what I do now, but I thought I was going to be, go back to school, be a high school history teacher. And this is what I wanted to do. And then It was actually my dad that you can be a high school history teacher if you want, and you know, you can take that path, but you know, a lot of these things that you like to do and a lot of this ambition you have, and you're not really going to get there being a high school history teacher. And there's nothing wrong with being a teacher is I just know you and I want you to recognize that. And so my dad was probably one of my early mentors and he told me that. And I, I listened to that and then ended up dropping out of school and didn't really know what I wanted to do. And it was super fortunate that he was in the power construction space. And he said, Hey, 
there's a job called a junior rad tech that you can become a radiological technician by taking a test. You pass the test and then you'll be able to get this opportunity and then go from there. And so I got that opportunity and then was able to transition into construction safety about nine months later. And that's where mentorship really was my first true experience with it. The I didn't know very much about safety. I knew it from the nuclear side, which on the construction side, that's way different. I understood nuclear safety a lot better than I actually understood the nuts and bolts of how to keep people out of harm's way and get people to do the things that they need to do to protect themselves. And the project manager on that job and the piping superintendent, his name was Dave Rowe. If you're listening, I appreciate you so much. They took an interest in my success and took an interest in me and helped me understand things about my job that my my safety mentor on the job didn't necessarily know or teach me. And they taught me a lot about the work. And so on my next project, that just continued to go forward. So I understood more about the work than a lot of the other people in the safety field. And so that made even more superintendents and project managers put their arm around me and say, hey, I'm going to teach you. And so that just caused a chain reaction of, I started to identify that that's how I can get ahead and that's how I can learn. So when I would see that someone was willing to teach me, I would figure out ways to add value for them. What can I do that makes their job easier? And then I'm going to get the knowledge out of this. And then it's I daisy chain that all the way through my career. And that's how I was able to get my first few customers too. My at Actual one of my one of my mentors at BW when I was in business development, he's the one that recommended me to Kiwit. And my boss, I ultimately end up going to work for at Kiwit. So when I say that I've rode that wave and I wouldn't be where I'm at without it, it's not a platitude or a throwaway statement. I would not be where I'm at if people didn't take the time to teach me. And the reason why I shouted out Dave Rowe, the piping superintendent, is because the people that taught me early, I don't know what they saw in me. I was a 20, early 20s wreck. I don't I have no idea. I was hard to deal with. I had a ton of energy, a lot of times in the wrong direction. I thought I knew everything and I knew absolutely nothing, but they took the time to be patient with me and help round out my edges. And then I say all the other mentors benefited after that. And every time I got rounded out, I became a better mentee and became the person that I am today. Matthew, what a great story. And here you talk about that. What I heard was you made a connection with the craft. Where a lot of safety professionals, they're going to throw the 1926 book at you. And that's the OSHA 19 for some of the listeners who may not know what that is, but that's the rules and the regs. And someone that connects with the craft and says, hey, these are the rules and the regs, but this is why there are rules and regs. And I can help you be a safer employee and just and embrace the whole protecting someone as opposed to just policing someone. <laughs> Yes. I used to tell, I on that job, especially I became friends with the craft because they were a lot my age. And even I remember the Boilermaker General Foreman, he took it. I was the same age as his son and his son had just gotten the craft. So he really took an interest in me. And I used to always tell them, and I told them through my safety career, listen, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to fight for you in the office. I'm going to fight for you to make sure you have the things that you need. What I need you to do for me is when there are situations that you might not believe it's a hazard situation, but it's a compliance issue, I need you to comply. Most people do the big things because they don't want to hurt themselves, but people get hurt in situations where they aren't necessarily acknowledging that it's a hazard or it truly is just a compliance issue, right? And so I was able to barter with that credibility with them. Don't make me come out here and see this, right? Come on. Don't make me come out here and have this conversation with you because I have your back. I've supported you. I've tried to make sure you're taken care of. I need you to do the same respect for me. And that worked out well for me through my safety career. 
That is wonderful. Man, we covered a lot of ground here today. We talked about leadership, mentorship, having our own businesses, and now we finished it out with safety. That's great. Matthew, how can our listeners find out more about you, social media, and website, whatever you want to tell them how to get in contact with you and find out more? Best way is to follow me on LinkedIn. I produce content on a daily basis. I connect with great people like Brian, support their work. He's been on my podcast before. I have a podcast. You can check that out. If you're interested in working with me, then just send me a message on LinkedIn. We actually don't have a website right now, which is odd for a marketing agency, but it's because of some of the things we discussed earlier. I'm very intentional about the clients that I take on. So if you're listening to this and you're wondering, how do we attract customers or new markets? Reach out to me. If you're wondering how to grow a brand to attract talent, reach out to me. And this is a new one I've been working on. If you're thinking about how do we influence the safety culture on your project, that's another new one we've been working on. We'd love to talk about that with you as well. That is great. And uh, you definitely exemplify and help people through those things. And I think it's all about marketing and convincing people to do the right thing is basically what it boils down to. And that's what you do through your social media posts and through consulting that you do with your clients. So thanks for being on the podcast today. For our listeners, we thank you for listening to the Build Your Success podcast. Share this podcast with others. I know Matthew dropped some amazing nuggets that your friends and family could use. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Hey, remember to build yourself and then build others. Mm-hmm.